Anyways, so with that, we're going to continue on in our series uh, in Colossians. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be reading Colossians 1, 24 through uh, Colossians 2, 5. Give you a moment to get there. Colossians 1, 24. And there's some guys coming down the aisles that uh, if you need a Bible, just wave your hand. It's your Bible to keep forever if you need one. So again, it's Colossians 1, starting at verse 24. And it reads, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for the Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me to... I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church of Laodicea and for many other believers who have n- I have never met personally. I want them to be encouraged and knitted together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith is strong. Your faith in Christ is strong. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We're so thankful for who you are and what you're doing in our lives, Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. We're just in awe that we get to read it freely, Lord, and just hearing reports this week of people who are being persecuted for having a Bible, uh, for proclaiming your name, and yet here we are in our freedom. And we don't want to waste that, Lord. We don't want to uh, just uh, assume um, that, that the way that you're working in our lives is no different than anyone else's lives, that you are true and alive. And as we read, that the, the, the mystery has been revealed in your son, through your son, through your spirit, Lord. So, Lord, as we continue to worship you through your word, Lord, speak to us. Prepare our hearts. Whatever you want me to say, I say. And whatever you don't, that I don't. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. So, what is the difference between a good season and a bad season? Now, whenever I say that, depending on your line of work, your profession, depending if you're a Christian or not, that could really be a loaded question. But specifically... As a Christian, what is the difference between a good season and a bad season? And maybe even more, uh, the question becomes, uh, what exactly is a bad season? What exactly is a good season? Um, In our our leadership meeting that we had earlier this week, um, we asked ourselves this question. When Paul was sitting in Rome, in a Roman prison, writing this letter... To the Colossians, to the people of Colossae, was he in a bad season or a good season? Uh, What kind of season are you in now? Um, 
Again, in our leadership meeting, we ask these questions of ourselves. What is a bad season? What is a good season? What is a resting season? What is a a trying season? A dry season? Uh, All kinds of different seasons. And just in case I'm speaking this foreign language to you, basically I'm asking you, when is life good and when is life bad? And how do you know when one changes from one season, one situation to the next? At least for me, as I started preparing for this and even discussing it with some of the leaders as we had our meeting, I I realized that I really can identify when a bad season takes place in my life. It's pretty simple. I'll give you, uh, for instance, you get a phone call with bad news. Doesn't matter. Bad season, right? You get a call from the doctor um, with results you weren't hoping for. You get a call from a friend, email, car wreck. Sounds really depressing, right? Like instantly, you know, when you're in a bad season, right? You wake up, you're not feeling good, bad season. But how do you know when you go from a bad season to a good season? Yeah, you may get a call with good news, but sometimes, and at least in my experience as walking with the Lord is, I think sometimes I anticipate a bad season so much that whenever I'm in a good season, I don't realize that I am. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. But then if I think about it more, I'm, I'm more of a, if you will, a cup overflowing. At least I hope I am. And then I start arguing and fighting with this whole concept of what is a season? What is a bad season? What is a learning season? A dry season? And what is that precise moment when I realize the difference? And then we read what we've read from Paul and then ask that question again. Was Paul in a good season or a bad season when he was sitting in a jail cell writing to the people of Colossians? So which one is it? Is he bad? Is it good? And, and perhaps um, it's both. Um, I wrote down in, for a title, because just for a title, I wrote down suffering, serving, serving, suffering, something. So I wrote down, uh, really, suffering and serving, serving and suffering, they go hand in hand, and sometimes we don't realize the difference. And just right off the bat, I just want to make a distinction here real quick. Um, The suffering that Paul is talking about, uh, we'll go through, but it's not the same suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross. I hear a lot of that quite um, in Christian circles that uh, we understand what Jesus went through suffering on the cross. Well, I've never suffered on the cross. I pray I never do. Pray that you never do. So that suffering is completely different, and we'll talk about that. I just want to up front right away talk about suffering as an attitude. And I think that that's really what Paul is talking about here when he writes this. So whenever I ask you a bad season of your life, boom, right away, right? You can already think of it. Maybe even some of you right now are in that bad season immediately. And again, it's probably in the form of new information, a new situation. Um, You get a call, a diagnosis, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're in a bad season. And if you're in a good season right now, do do you know that you're in a good season? And again, I think perhaps we're so defined in our seasons, like we have seasons here in Modesto, which is quite different than being down south. There's two seasons down in Southern California. There's nice weather and nice weather. Um... A little hot and 75 and perfect. But here, it like rains. That's new. Um, 
And, uh, you know, it gets cold, it gets hot. We go through different seasons. You could see it on the trees. It's very defined. But if you realize, and maybe for some of you who've grown up here or have grown up where there's defined seasons that you can see in nature, you drive right past it and you don't even realize that there's blooms. You could see the almond blooms or almonds, whatever I'm learning. Forgive me. Um, the, and the, and, and the different bloom and you can drive right by them and you don't notice it. I know that was one of the first things that I noticed when, when they came out, I was like, this is neat. Like leaves fall off and now they're there again, but the seasons. And sometimes when you sit in a season, it just kind of blends all together. And then you just call it life. And then when someone says, how's life going? Your usual response is good. It is good. Or I'm tired or it's all right. But you don't want to say it's bad unless it's a close friend because you don't want to have to dwell on it. So what was it again? And so for, for Paul sitting in this jail cell, remember he's in Rome and he's writing this letter to this church that's about five years old. And they're going through some things of figuring out what really is truth. And last week we talked about Jesus focused in on the several things that Paul pointed out. And now he goes in and right off the bat he said, I am glad when I suffer. You're weird. I mean, that's the first thing that I thought of. I, I, I'm not glad when I suffer. And then if you keep reading it, it says, For you, when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. So typically, when someone is preparing for a sermon, and you may know this, if you prepared for a sermon or a Bible study or anything... At least the way that I've been taught and I grew up knowing. And as you read through it, you, you, you're praying through it and you start writing out. I like what Alistair Begg says, that you write yourself dry. You pray yourself through. Basically, you keep praying, you keep writing. And then you go back and you check all the smart people in history to make sure that you're not a heretic. Um, that's pretty much what it is. And, and for whatever reason, and maybe it's a season... The first thing, I just got so sucked into suffering. And for about most of the week, I just wrote about suffering. And then I looked back and I thought, well, no one's ever going to come to church again. Um, but then I was looking at it and, and I realized that throughout history, people have been arguing about this single verse forever since Paul wrote it. Uh, the NLT, I think, the NLT is new to me and, and I have appreciated going through it um, this time going through as we're preaching and it, and it explains it, I think better than some translations. And it kind of clears up the, the, the mistakes that people put whenever Paul says, I am glad when I'm suffering for your body, for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ. Some translation says continuing of the sufferings of Christ. And people took that and said, well, you got to earn your salvation because what Christ did on the cross wasn't enough. You got to continue through it. And That's not what he's saying at all. He's just simply saying, and I think, again, the NLT writes it down, is I am glad when I am suffering for you in my body, for I'm participating, I'm joining in what Christ has already done for the church body. So quite simply, to put it to rest, which I'm thankful that we've had a couple thousand years to process this, simply saying, I'm sharing the good news and it's hard work. I'm continuing to share what Christ has done on the cross and I'm doing it. And again, this word suffering is an affliction and it's never used when Jesus died on the cross. I I really spent a lot of time looking into this. It it, it only refers to Jesus when he was here on earth in his ministry on earth is when he was suffering. 
So he's sharing in that suffering of bringing the good news. But you're like, so what? Suffering is suffering. And you're right. But there's a difference. And right away, what I realize is about the seasons of good seasons and bad seasons is really our attitude and our focus. So he says, I'm glad when I suffer for you, for somebody else, when my attention is away when I'm, when I'm serving, when I'm, I'm working for you, the people, I'm glad that it's worth it. I'm glad that I'm suffering in it because it's not about me. And again, <clears throat> suffering. And, and, and real quick, I can email this out. I just wrote a quick list. I, I, I didn't include it. I just I wrote 10 different types of suffering that I found in the Bible. Some people argue there's 14 and I... I can't see the difference. I'm just going to walk through it real quick for a point of, and again, if you want it, you can ask me and I'll send it to you if you're weird like me, but um, different types of suffering. At the beginning, there's original suffering, the original sin. We suffer in that. There's demonic suffering, Satan, the attacks. There's victim suffering. Someone does something wrong against you. They punch you square in the nose. You didn't deserve it or earn it. Victim suffering. There's collective suffering. You and your whole family is born in a, in a nation where there's not a lot of food. Collective su- suffering. Disciplinary suffering. You earned it. Consequences. You broke the window. You blamed your brother. You spent the whole summer working it off. That happened. Uh, prevent, preventative suffering. This is when you get an ache in the side and you don't feel well. And then you go and find out your appendix is about to... Rupture. It's, it's this, you, you feel this infliction, this pain to warn you, give a, you a heads up. Hey, you should go to the doctor. There's empathetic suffering. It's when you're not hurt directly, but someone you love dearly is hurting and you're suffering with them. There's faith suffering. Suffering because of your faith. People reject you, no longer are your friends, they're mean to you, on and on. Then there's providential suffering. Events that draws us into to God the, this is where you would say, I'm really not sure why I'm going through this season. I didn't do anything wrong. Someone didn't do something wrong to me. It just kind of happened. It's because God has a plan. It's God's in control suffering is my cliff note. And then there's the, the last one, non-believing suffering. It's if you're not a believer in Christ, the eternal suffering that you'll experience when you die if you don't have a relationship with Christ. So all this suffering is going around and I was writing through it and I was trying to pick on what, which one of those, and there's probably a couple more you can come up with. Which one of those is, is Paul talking about, I'm glad when I suffer. And the interesting thing is he's kind of combining quite a few of them. He's suffering for his faith. He's suffering because uh, disciplinary actions. I mean, not from God the Father, but because the Romans didn't want him to do that anymore, preach the good news. There's providential suffering. God is using this situation. Collective suffering. He, he's, he's in this region. He's in this time. He's in this season of life where he's suffering simply because of where he lives. And then he's also suffering, empathetic suffering, because he has this burden for people. And I have found that through my life, and I, uh, I've probably faced all kinds of different kinds of sufferings, not the non-believing suffering. I believe in Jesus, but empathetic is the one that gets me all the time. I hurt deeply for other people. And some of you are probably shaking your head. I do. I, I think that's probably a, a good uh, measure of, of where you're at for other people is if you hurt for other people. 
And you can share this. And maybe you're in a disciplinary action. You, you sped just last week and you went way too fast in a 40 or whatever it is. Different suffering. So what is he talking about suffering for the church? And again, it's not on the cross. He's not continuing on. He's, he's talking about his, he's being honest with his, how he's feeling about suffering. So how, how and, and one of the, the statements I wrote here is, your suffering does not define you. So many times I see that, that people live in their suffering. You, you ask them, how are they doing? And, and they say they're okay, but here's the situation. And that becomes their identity. Their identity is no longer in Christ. And I'm talking for you who are Christians. Your identity is what you're experiencing at the moment. And I'm not picking on you. Um, uh, I've experienced this myself. I do this. And you know when you know better, but you still do it. You know, um, I think right before we moved here last year and I fell and dislocated my knee. If people asked me how I was doing, I said, my leg is dead. My wife has to pack the whole house. I mean, that was my identity. I was uh, dislocated D. Jackson. I mean, I, I had a pity party of one. I felt so bad for myself. Was that my identity? No, but that's who I made it out to be. You know, you can go on and on and on uh, of different things. Um, you, your suffering does not define you unless you let it. But how you respond really is how and who defines you. How do you respond to these suffering for Christ when you're serving? And, and, and the question is, is two people can go through the same exact issue and then there's one with a positive attitude. It's okay, we're going to get through it. And then there's one that's like, ugh, right? They're going through the same exact situation. And I'm not trying to say that the attitude, no, everything's fine. No, you've been impelled. You're, you're stabbed, you're injured, you're, you've been in a wreck. Don't just say everything is okay, do something about it. It's just realizing and understanding that God is in control. We are not, even whenever we want to know why. I think one of the questions in, in the life group that I'm a part of, and, you can, and if you want to know who my leaders are to blame them, I'll call them out later. Just kidding. Uh, but I will. But uh, is the, we, we were discussing last week and the last couple of weeks is we really want to know why. When we go through a season, we, we tend to think if as long as I know why I'm going through it, I'm okay. But what about the seasons when the why is not answered? And I feel like the why is hardly ever answered. Maybe sometimes. But maybe instead of the why question, because that is not always answered. Maybe if we ask the how question, how can I... Take this experience and grow close to Christ. How can I be in this situation and continue to worship God? And then maybe a who question. Who can I help that's in the same boat? And who, who can I come in contact with that can walk through this with me? Perhaps those are easier questions to ask than the why question. Which is interesting, going to school to become an engineer. If you didn't ask, answer the why question, you weren't a very good engineer. So how do you have this competing thing? We want to know why, because we know one plus one always equals two. Why? Because there's properties, there's defined rules. And then in our life, all the rules seem to just go right out the door. So one of the thoughts that I had just about suffering and 
is just uh, invest in your suffering. If you are in a season that's really difficult, invest. Invest. And that means don't ignore it. Don't pretend it doesn't happen. Don't just live in it, but invest in it. With the question, how can I use my experience for someone else? Or who else has a similar experience that I can ask come alongside? And more, how can I depend on God more in this season? And that's really what the gospel is, isn't it? The, the gospel is not just that whenever we die physically, we believe in Jesus Christ and we're in heaven, which is wonderful news. That's great for eternity. But the gospel message, message also gives us a purpose and a power for the present and not just for the future. It helps us focus on who Christ is now and not just later. So what the gospel is all about is Jesus and others is what it comes to. So as we continue on, so first 24, Paul is glad that he's suffering for the body of Christ. In 25, he goes on, he says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Some translation says his word to you. And uh, that can get a little bit confusing because sometimes we, we associate the word with the Bible. Now, if you remember when Paul was writing this, he wrote a lot of the Bible. So he wasn't talking about the Bible. He was talking about the word. The word became flesh. He was talking about Jesus, the entire message of the gospel. So he says that I have a responsibility in serving his church. So immediately he's taking his focus off the suffering and saying, this is the reason why, but this is my cause. My responsibility is to serve the church. 26 goes on, he says, the message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. So we'll stop right there and we'll continue on. He makes this clear cut distinction that this message is for Gentiles too. We shared at the beginning of this message or of this series that there were Jewish people who converted over to Christianity, believed that Jesus died for their sins. There were Gentiles, people who didn't have any faith or some weird kind of faith or no faith at all. They're Christians too. And there's this hodgepodge of people who are coming to Christ. And there was a little bit of arrogance that was coming along too from both parties, if you will. The Jewish people who are now Christians were saying, Gentiles, everybody else, you have to be Jewish and then you get to be Christian. Here's all the rules. And the Gentiles were like, well, we don't want to worship your God. That doesn't sound right. We don't like that. And then the Gentiles on the other side is saying, we've been forgiven. We believe in Jesus. And the Jew says, we don't want to hang out with you Gentiles. So Paul makes it very clear that this is not just for the Jewish community. This is for the Gentiles, which you can translate for everybody too. And he goes on and says, finishes in 27. And this is the secret Here's the secret. I just imagine if he was sharing this, he brings everyone in close. He whispers and he says, and here's a secret. You can try this with your kids. If you just tell them, hey, I have a secret. They listen. It's magic. I have a secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Now, what does that mean? Here's the secret. Christ lives in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Holy Spirit's in you. Christ is in you when you believe. And this gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. So what is his glory? It includes the suffering here, but it also includes, means his glory that we are in the presence of the Lord, not just when we die, but now, in the assurance. 
So if this suffering, the question also is about suffering, is suffering worth it? Is this bad season worth what I'm going? Is it worth it? Will there be a reward in the end? And the answer is yes, because Christ lives in you. So how do you, how do we as Christians live like this? How do we live like we believe in sharing in his glory, that we believe and we live in the assurance of what is promised in the future? How do we live believing that Christ dwells in us? So I wrote down a couple of thoughts that at least works for me and that I've seen through the Bible is be worshipers of the Lord always. Be worshipers of the Lord always. Bad seasons, good seasons, waiting seasons, quiet seasons, angry seasons, dry seasons, all the seasons you can think of. Be worshipers always. Even in good seasons, I, I can't really determine when is it most difficult to worship the Lord. I think sometimes whenever I'm in a bad season, I'm feeling really bad for myself. Yay, Jesus. But then I also think that whenever something's good, I can easily, quickly forget to say, yay, Jesus, when something is good, when I worship him. So be worshipers always. And then a side note, one way to continue to be a worshiper is thank God for the past prayers that he's answered. And thank you for the past prayers that he didn't answer the way that you asked him to. And of course, the music through his word, through his relationship. And sharing in his glory now and forever. Resting assured that what you're going through is not unique. It may be unique to you. But Christ understands this. He's experienced this. That's why in Hebrews 4... Uh, 14 through 16, this relationship that we have with Christ, this, this difference of all different gods, false gods. And it says this. So verse 14, it says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Haven't you found that to be true? That in that grace, that moment that we need it, it rings true. If our identity is not in our suffering, our situation, our circumstances, both good and bad, our identity is in Christ. Then how do we do that? How do we actually live that out? It's through the gospel. It's through the gospel in our lives that we're living it out. And it's in the gospel of us sharing it. And not, and I wrote down this, this statement to keep me focused. He, he, making sure that the lessons that we've learned from scripture that we memorized as kids long ago. Or the devotions that we once had in our past. Is not only something we refer to them as in the past. All that to say is, don't live off of yesterday's home runs. And, and, and here, here's an illustration that, that, I, that I heard some kind of form and I can't, I don't know who to give credit to, but you'll understand it when you hear it. So if we're going to not just live off of yesterday's home runs, not just the relationship we used to have with Christ when we first came to believe in him as our Lord and Savior. It's like this. It's like, uh, have you ever had a friend that still is obsessed with the first car they ever had? 
you probably should have a friend like that. They're great. Um, but, but I mean, the, the friend is someone who always is talking about that first car they had. And all you want to do is say, dude, that was like 50 years ago. Let it go. And, the, and, and he even continues to share that what it looked back. He would look back and says, hey, do you remember that time when I fit a whole bunch of friends in the trunk of the car? Do you remember that time when we broke down, when I broke down? And, and do you remember that time we rebuilt it? Do you remember how great it was, those old days when we used to drive in high school? Do you remember uh, all these conversations that we had in the car? And it's almost as if they're talking about that car as if that's the car that they're going to walk out of the house and go into the car and drive away later. It's almost like that, that 20 years ago, that wonderful car. Do you remember it? It's almost like, it's almost like this. It's like you had your first job when you were 16, 15, whatever. And it's like 30 years has gone by. You go back to your old boss and say, do you remember how hard I worked for you? I would like to get paid all over again. Would that be all right? You remember that one time I stayed an extra 15 minutes and I didn't complain all that much? Can I get paid for that? It's almost like that's sometimes how we can fall into the trap with our relationship with Christ. I have found that uh, trying to memorize scripture in NLT, since this is new, has been very difficult because I, 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 I go back to what I grew up with, either the King James or NIV. Or the new King James and the NIV. And some of you may be King James or whatever. And I'm not saying that that's bad. Because God recalls scripture in your mind right at the moment that you need it. But if you only live in that, then how are you living in the gospel now? If you only recall the great devotion that you and your wife had five years ago, what about the devotion that you're having now? I think that really is the, the, the line that which draws both the bad seasons and good seasons together to realize we're just in a season. And our season is based on our attitude and our attitude is based on our relationship with Christ. So that's why whenever Paul says, hey, let me tell you the secret, the secret that we have is Christ lives in you. Act like it. Live like it. That's not saying you won't go through hard times and you want to ask those, all those questions. It just means that it's real. And then sharing your experience. Only leaning on lessons you once learned from the past and keeping it all to yourself. It's not for you. What you're experiencing isn't just for you. Not just for uh, suffering that shapes you. But someone you can come alongside with. Someone that can walk you Walk with you through this. Someone that you can share your experience. And this is how God has worked through. Sharing your experience. Sharing the gospel through your experience of what Christ has done to you. I always go back and think about the gospels. that talks about a man who was blind and Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. And you probably remember everyone's all upset because he healed on the Sabbath. And, and the arguing that Jesus is God. And, and they go to the man who's blind and, and they said... So is this the son of God? He goes, I don't know, but I am healed. All I can tell you is my experience with him. So I believe. And one of the things that I've noticed about sharing the gospel is people may argue about what scripture is and says that it's not true. And they try to poke holes in all of these things, which I would argue that scripture can filter scripture just fine. But no one can deny or argue your experience with Christ. No one can tell you, no, God did not do that in your life. He did. This is my experience. 
And that's what he says, Paul says in verse 28, he says, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. And that's why I work and I struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. He's saying nothing is more important than the gospel message. So Paul here in prison, it doesn't matter. I just want to get that out. I just want to share this good news. And that's why I'm writing this letter. Because again, we, we started with, I, Paul prayed for them. Then he shared who Jesus is, clear cut who Jesus is. And now the power that we have because of who Jesus is. I like what Tim Keller wrote uh, in his book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Um, if, if that is you, if, the, if that title of that book fits where, you, where you're at in your life, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, I highly recommend it. It's a great read. Uh, it really answers a lot of the questions we ask. And it also helps us take our focus off ourselves. But anyways, he writes this. While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the upcoming sorrows, Christianity power empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. It's beautiful. And that's how we are living. That's why, so again, was Paul in a good season or a bad season while he was sitting in this jail cell writing this letter? The answer is yes. It was pretty a bad season for him. This jail cell, if you want to know, he's probably chained to somebody else. It was kind of under house arrest. And you couldn't do anything or go anywhere or do anything without this person being chained to you and you couldn't do anything else. That sounds awful. But yet here he is. I can just imagine, although this is hard and, and, and he probably got beat a little bit too and hit, he just so excited writing this letter. I get to share Christ with others. And then as we start off into chapter two, he says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church of Laodicea. Laodicea, and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knitted together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie, hidden, all the treasures and wisdom of knowledge. So his heart here is to share the gospel, knit us together, knit the community together, bring about this mysterious plan, which he's suggesting isn't mysterious anymore because we had Christ here on earth. Verse four, he goes on, he says, I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. We'll stop right there. One of the biggest fears probably as parents, as spouses, as anything is that someone that you love will be deceived and tricked by someone arguing that Christianity isn't real, specifically that Jesus Christ didn't die for your sins. And yet, that may be a a burden, a fear that we have if we continue to share the good news, continue to plant the good news, continue to share the good news, plant that seed. There isn't anything in the world that's going to stop what Christ is going to do and has done. And I know this is true. Just, just earlier this week, I had the great dumb idea to go play hockey again. And um, should never play hockey again. Anyways, and, and I went, and it was great. I uh, played roller hockey, which is not ice hockey, but it don't matter. Anyways, and uh, sitting in the locker room, and I, and I can't stop talking about Jesus. And I'm not trying to 
pat myself on the back by any means. I just find that it just slips out of my mouth. So I'm sitting there and I'm getting dressed and very, very slow and very feeling very, very old and watching all these like teenagers and young 20 people like get dressed in like 10 seconds. I'm breathing hard just to tie my skates. <laughs> you're right. Okay. Anyways. And uh, someone says, Hey, we've never seen you before. And you're a goalie. That's great. Cause we don't have many goalies. Not that many people are dumb. And I said, you're correct. And, uh, we started talking. So how long have you lived here? And I said, well, it's in Sonora. And I said, no, I live a little ways away in Modesto. Uh, how long have you been here? A year. And, and they said, well, what, what brought you here? Ding. I gotcha. Um, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, <laughs> but now we're trapped in this locker room and you have to listen to me. But, uh, so we just talked and they're like, that's cool. And one guy said, Hey, what church? And we start sharing. He shares the church and that he's going to. And, and, uh, you could tell when people want to ask questions, but they don't want to ask it in front of everybody else. So it's been my experience and I'm just sharing this just from my experience is just hang around just a little bit longer. Just wait just an extra minute. Be the last one to leave. And just give people an opportunity to talk to you. That's the gospel. I, I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but that's the gospel. You present it and you just wait. Don't be in a hurry to get home. Even in your suffering, don't rush. So I had an opportunity to talk about Christ with someone who knew Christ but hasn't been with him walking with the Lord for a long time. And I'm not trying to take credit for it. It's just an opportunity. And it took me an hour just to get undressed in my goalie gear anyways. But he says this in verse 4, I am telling you this so that no one will deceive you with a well-crafted argument. They're not, no one can argue against your experience of the gospel. For though I am far away from you, he says, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. So are you in a good season or a bad season? You're in a season. At work, you may be in a bad season. At home, you may be in a good season. Vice versa. You may be in a personally good season, but your wife or your husband is in a bad season. Your kids are in a bad season. Grandkids. Someone very close to you is. And it's not as if you don't feel that bad season for them. But the way that our relationship with Christ works, the way that we get connected with Christ more and more, the way that you grow in your devotion and your scripture and your prayer time, it really switches your attitude. So that way, again, whenever we're asking all of these questions, why? Stop as best as you can. Stop asking the why. Maybe that will be revealed to you. But how can I use this? How are you using this, Lord, in my life? If, if you guys as a couple has been going through the devotion um, from family life, a couple of days ago, I think it was Wednesday, um, there was an illustration about a Norwegian man. And I just want to, I looked into it because it was just a cliff note. And I don't know how true it is. I don't care. I just love a good story if you haven't noticed. But it, it, the story is about a Nor- Norwegian man. He went deep sea fishing with his two sons. And they got caught out in a bad storm because they got to catch just one more fish. If you're a fisherman, you identify with that. 
So he gets caught up in a big storm, and it's a big thunderstorm, and, and they're trying so hard to get back to shore, and then the lightning and thunder start to come, and they're using this lighthouse to get back to shore, and then all of a sudden they see this lightning hit the lighthouse, it explodes, and then there's no more dark, there's no more light, it's only darkness. Well, how do you find your way back to shore as you're, you have this light that you're going to, how are they going to get back? And then all of a sudden another lightning hit, and there's this great big glowing light that was burning something clearly had been on fire but then it goes on the story goes on that says that while they were while this man and his sons were at home, uh, out in the sea trying to get back home that lightning bolt actually ended up hitting his house with his wife in the house and the house started catching on fire and and this wife is doing everything that she can to put the fire out. And she's praying, Lord, put this fire out. Put this fire out. She's doing everything. People are coming. Everyone's trying to come to the aid to put this fire out. And then finally she realizes there's nothing she could do for the home. But she realizes her son and her kids are out in this sea. And, oh, are they okay? So she runs to the shore waiting and looking for them. And then finally, a couple hours later, they come onto shore. And she runs up to them. And they're so thankful that they're okay. And she's crying. And she said, we've lost our home. It's completely burnt to the ground. And I was praying and I was praying and I was praying that God would spare us our home. And then the Norwegian man said, oh, then be happy and rejoiceful because the lightning hit the lighthouse and we had no way of going back. And actually what led us home is that fire to our house. So as you were praying for that house to be put out, I was praying that God would keep that light on. See, the way that we are praying for our, ourselves and the way that we pray for one another needs to be unified. And what I mean is like that Norwegian man was praying for that fire to stay so he knew how to get home. Right at the same time, his wife was praying that God would put the fire out. What we're praying for one another, what Paul is saying that suffering for the cause of the gospel is the key. So when we're praying for one another, pray for God's will to be done so that way people can come to know Christ. Once we accept Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have this burden, this responsibility to share that good news. The gospel is no longer just for us. It's for everyone. So if that's the way that we're praying in season and out of season of bad and good, praying that God will use that to bring him glory. We're going to have communion uh, this morning. We're going to do it slightly different, um, meaning that you only have two songs to grab the elements. Um, Grab the elements, the bread, and the cup, and bring them together. Bring them back to your seat, and we're going to take it all together. But while you're doing this, I just ask you, just, just spend some time praying as we have two songs. As the worship team leads us into two songs instead of three. Think about and ask this question, Lord, the season that I'm in, how can I glorify you? And what are you trying to teach me? How can I glorify you? And what are you trying to teach me? And how can I use this for somebody else? So as you're doing that, there's no requirements to take communion. We don't have membership or anything. The only requirement, I should say, excuse me, is you have to be a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All are welcome to participate. So again, Go and and take some of the elements. Come back to your seats. We'll take it all together. But ask those questions of the Lord. Ask him just to reveal 
himself to you in a new way. Let's pray. Father, we come before you so humbled and thankful um, that Paul would write a letter that we get to use in our own lives, Lord, that he is glad when he suffers for the work of the church, for the gospel. And what's so remarkable is that work, that suffering that he was glad for, we are fruit from that, Lord. Lord, that this letter that he wrote to this church so long ago is now a letter that we are reading in our Bible. And we realize and and understand, Lord, that all of this is for you, for your glory, Lord, that you came down to save us, and that's what you did. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve this grace and mercy, Lord, that is simply putting our trust in you, So that way, whenever we come before the Father, it's not us that he sees in our sin and our nastiness and our wickedness, it's you. Lord, so I pray for anybody in here this morning that hasn't come to know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day. I pray for anyone who is experiencing anything that is not great, Lord, to recognize and to come closer to you. I pray for each and every one that our devotion to you, our time in prayer to you continues to grow and that we don't just live off what we used to do, but every day is a new season to grow closer to you. So Lord, as we go and we uh, get the elements to remember what you did on the cross, speak to us now of, of what you're doing in our lives, how we can bring you glory, how we can share the gospel message in our suffering as Paul wrote. Thank you for your son. Thank you that we get to worship you again through songs now. Just pray that it's honoring to you. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.